song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. I don't know if it's an extreme or extremely exciting episode today, Dave, but it's one of those two. Well, you're wrong, Nick, because it's both. <laughs> it's, uh, it's extreme because we're talking about something from extreme championship wrestling. That wasn't too bad. That was kind of like the intro. Uh, and it's extremely exciting because this episode is sponsored by Michael Montalvo, one of our great patrons over at patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. He's not even a uh, huge wrestling fan, or maybe he's growing in his wrestling fandom as he dives into the archives. But uh, he suggested that we talk about the Blue Meanie, who I think he is familiar with through the legendary Nintendo 64 game, WrestleMania 2000. And the BWO by extension, because uh, there, uh, I don't know how to say this, there's not enough stuff to talk about with just the Blue Meanie. <laughs> so we expanded it to the general BWO, uh, which I wanted to give a brief, uh, and I guess unfortunately brief history of, which is uh, basically what uh, how they started was that Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie were trapezing around, I guess you would call it. Uh, at the time, Stevie Richards was Raven's lackey. Uh, and Blue Meanie shows up, and this is something we'll talk about in our Essential Viewings episode, as a sidekick, basically. And they start coming out and parodying different performers. Uh, most notably, the one that I think of is uh, Big Daddy Cool and Shawn Michaels. Like, they dressed and acted and did the pose with Blue Meanie doing the Shawn Michaels pose and uh, Stevie Richards doing the Big Daddy Cool pose, obviously. And then eventually, uh, at November to Remember 1996, which is the one that isn't on the network, uh, they formed. They came out. They said they were taken over. Uh, they called themselves the Blue Guy, Hollywood Nova, and Big Stevie Cool, as I mentioned. And uh, basically, they were... Um, it's hard to explain, right, Dave? Like, it's hard to explain what the BWO were in terms of their place in the car. Well, comedy, and especially nerd comedy, have changed a lot in the last 20, 25 years. And, like, if you grew up in the kind of late 80s, early to mid 90s, you know, kind of approaching the millennium, there was still a lot of kind of, like, old school kind of Monty Python... Uh, sort of like parody, deeply parody-based humor. And they were definitely kind of tapping straight into that. Like, this would never happen today, not in that there wouldn't be like a parody gimmick, but that it, it wouldn't be done with such dedication and ridiculousness. Like, this is still the kind of golden age of uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Like, I always think of Bad Hair Day as being maybe the greatest Weird Al Yankovic album. And that came out in the fall of 96, so shortly before this. We're still kind of in the the platinum age of nerdy parody. Yeah, and it's a it's a time before the modern comedy revolution where everything's a reference and you're getting like Venture Brothers, for instance, where literally every single character is a reference to something else. This is still in the part where, like you said, it's more of a like there are parts of the monoculture that are more obscure than others that people pulled from, which is where the Blue Mini comes from, right? Dave, I, I've never seen it, but it's a character from the Yellow Submarine, right? Or Yellow Submarine. Definitely. We'll talk about that a little more uh, a week from today. Oh, uh, big uh, spoiler alert there. We will be talking about that movie in an upcoming episode, which I'm super excited for, especially considering that you 
have not seen it. Uh, but yeah, the, the blue meanie is the kind of big heel, the chief heel. So we talked about him as being kind of a lackey in wrestling, but he's the, he's the big bad guy in yellow submarine. And he's both this sort of like giggly psychopath, but he's also wearing these like thigh high polished Nazi jack boots and has his hair styled into these like big Mickey Mouse ears. So he, he is a classic kind of like 1960s, 1970s, you know, capitalist fascist pig, basically. That's kind of what the character was originally. I don't know if that was necessarily what they were going for in the BWO. Like, I don't know if Blue Meanie was supposed to be like a capitalist <laughs> avatar, but... Uh... So actually, no, I, I looked this up recently and he's recently shed some light on this in uh, in other interviews. I reached out to him to see if he wanted to be on this show and he hasn't gotten back to me yet, but maybe he'll hear this and he'll want to be on the Yellow Submarine show. So everybody keep your fingers uh, crossed and uh, bother him on Twitter for me. Uh, at any rate, he has he has told people recently during appearances that the character was really all about him just being like the impulsive, naughty kid in class who couldn't control himself. And so him just kind of being like giggly, constantly fooling around, you know, never doing what he's supposed to kind of disobedient kid. So he always said that that was what was really at the heart of the wrestling character, that it was just him as the like goofy kid in class. Yeah, and it, you can totally see uh, that come across. And I, in general, don't like ECW, but I like the BWO because like you said, it's a parody that's done with a kind of care that you don't see in wrestling. Like he is, uh, he had seen Yellow Submarine and decided he wanted to be this character, right? Like there is this idea that they've actually seen what they're referencing. And I like that about, and it's the same thing with Weird Al where like Weird Al is an incredibly talented musician who did parodies of songs but it wasn't that he couldn't make his own music it was that like they thought this was a the best like I, they thought the bwo they were taken over and they thought that that was the best way to take over was to be a parody of something and it really worked and it's something we'll talk about later on but like it really did a good job of transcending its it's not its um source material right because it's the nwo but transcending what you thought would be the ceiling for it and i think that's something that also happens with weird weird al kind of stuff and and to me there's a big difference between like a cover song which we did an entire episode on cover song wrestlers uh like buddy landell and a parody wrestler like the blue guy or the blue meanie even like where there's this kind of it's in reference to the performer or the source material it's not a copy of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you're right to say that the, the, the BWO sort of transcend their, their platform or even really their card positioning. And what's wild is when we started diving into this topic, they as a pushed entity, as an important faction, were very, very, very short-lived. Like, you know, there's Meanie and Stevie together and they're together for like a year. And then they're the BWO and, you know, feuding with, with Tommy Dreamer and Sandman on behalf of Raven. But it's like, it doesn't last that long. Like that aspect of things lasts, you know, less than another year. And then they continue to kind of sporadically be the BWO. But it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, like they're an entity and you still see people at TV tapings with, with BWO shirts. And it's just fascinating how that act of all the acts in wrestling history is, is transcendent and perseverant. And I think it has to do with like commitment to performance and genuine love of the business. And I think in that way, they were kind of the best 
reflection of the best parts of the whole kind of ECW ethos. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason that they've lasted is because it was a really good parody of the NWO, except, and this is the most the like unrealistic part is it actually got the people in the group over um, in an organic way. Like the BWO is actually got, like you said, you still see people wearing BWO shirts. It's actually like the blue is really nice. Like there is this idea about them that they were, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. They were able to take what they had created separately as identities and combine them into new characters that worked for them. Like the blue meanie and the blue guy aren't that different of characters, right? Like they're, they dance slightly differently, but like they're basically Stevie Richards and big Stevie cool aren't like a crazy, it's an evolution, but it's not some sort of crazy, like he now does spinning backflips. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just, almost evolutions it felt like they could have come up with a similar gimmick that worked for all three of these guys that wasn't the bwo in other words like an explicit reference to the nwo and it would have worked what worked just as well but the fact that they were tied in some ways and now especially that all of those companies are under the same roof in terms of like licensing and stuff like that it really helps them have lasting power because they had the brand name tie, basically, of the NWO, but they also had the quality of being a group of guys that actually got over and are memorable in and of themselves. And that's like, weird again, like Weird Al. Weird Al, there's a ton of people who do parody songs. Weird Al is great because he was able to build a brand that transcends the things he's parodying. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the ways that the BWO accomplished that was by, like, the like you say the blue guy is the blue meanie kind of like dressed up like kind of playing scott hall for halloween right but like it's funny because like scott hall has this like unattainably great body like as one of the all-time great looks in wrestling history and blue meanie looks like the blue meanie you know what like there's there's that level to it and it's like stevie richards like you said he He's, he's doing Kevin Nash for Halloween, but like, he's not as tall as Kevin Nash. He's just like handsome and has long hair. But other than that, they have like nothing in common. Like you were saying like, oh, he's not suddenly doing that double backflips. And I kind of laughed to myself because I was like, well, that wouldn't be a very accurate impression <laughs> of Kevin Nash at all. But, but, but I think that part of the greatness, and again, there's another thing with like Weird Al was that Weird Al always strayed just far enough from the source material that he could do something really great like i think of the american pie star wars song where it's the like, saga begins the saga begins thank you very much that was that was on uh a later album that was right as my interest in uh, in in weird Al was, was beginning to wane i'll say but but that's a great example of like you know the, this folk song that's about american history and about americana and about rock and roll music and you know that, that that it's very it's a very maudlin song like it's a very uh, affected kind of over emotional song in a way that's very satisfying for a lot of people i'm not saying american pie is a bad song it's not but 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 by going so far in the other direction and saying now it's about anakin skywalker uh like building a pod racer or whatever you know like then it's just 
it's this uh, breaking through the wall of ri of ridiculousness, like breaking out of the ridiculousness of the real world and into this weird other surreal world, like actually kind of breaking through in that way, that it's not just an impression, it's this other version of that from like an alternate, much weirder. Dimension. Yeah, that is that is exactly what I was going to say. It feels as though you're watching, when you watch the BWO, you're watching an alternate reality group in the context of ECW does not feel like they're referencing the NWO. It feels like they are the NWO in terms of like what the NWO actually should have been, I guess is where, or maybe they should have made it a little bit closer to the actual main event, but like the idea that it is a group of people who are an important part of the story of the company, but aren't the entire history of the back half history of the company. Like the BWO was there and did what they were supposed to do and then got out not got out but like they didn't take over the company and I, I feel like that's a part of an appreciation of the craftsmanship of what they're doing like there's a real craft to what they're doing and it's not i don't want to call it ironic like i, I don't think it's fair to call the bwo ironic be like visually ironic but like they were really quote-unquote trying to take over like they were all three guys who were trying to get over and like hollywood nova is also is a guy who we haven't talked about he's really good in the ring like he's a totally serviceable performer and between him and Steve, uh, stevie you were like oh i like they're actual good performers like blue meanie is blue meanie like i seem like a nice guy in any shoot interview i've ever seen of him he's a talented like he's physically talented for a guy that size but like he's not gonna give you like a 60 minute broadway you know what i'm saying like the other two guys are really talented guys who are good hands and Stevie Richards looks on some level like a main eventer. So like, it feels like he's part of a main event gimmick. It feels organic in a way that most parodies don't. It feels lived in, in a way that most parodies don't. And I think that's the case with the saga begins. It is his fandom, his, his weird Al's star Wars fandom actually like coming to fruition. I feel like, what you're seeing with the BWO is a non-ironic parody of a thing that they think is cool that's happening in wrestling, not necessarily, but also like something they can make their own. And I think they did a great job. Of that. Yeah. And I, one thing that I, I, one level on which I really appreciate the, the BWO and how it kind of shines light on the NWO is that like the BWO was always kind of laughable because it was contained within ECW and like, they were never supposed to be tough, like on the contrary, like Nova was a great athlete and like Stevie was a, was a good wrestler. And when he wasn't, you know, under Raven's mind control, when he actually believed in himself, he was a, he was a capable, talented guy, whatever, you know, whatever the character was kind of thing. But they feel contained in a way that the act feels safe and in a way that I think kind of shows off the difference between ECW and WCW. Like, uh, as, as much as you can kind of laugh about comparing the scale of the two, because WCW was a much bigger and, and briefly a much, well, I shouldn't say briefly, that's mean, and was at one point much more successful financially. Not that hard. Not that hard to be much more say, say financially successful than ECW. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but, uh, but in WCW, they had the thing, right? Part of the problem was that, like, the NWO was realer than the rest of the show in a way that hurt the rest of the show and like with the parody edge i think the bwo number one like avoided that i mean not that they were ever portrayed as credible but like i almost think that like that was part of the act in a way was this like parody of like 
that all the NWO really had going for them was that they were like bigger than the promotion and that they had all the leverage and they got to do whatever they wanted to. If they were just made up of three guys, you know, weren't in that position, they might as well have been the BWO. Like to me, I always felt like that was part of the joke. You know what I mean? That like, well, yeah, of course you guys are ruling the world. You've got all this stroke. We can do the same act. And, you know, we're, we're, look where we are. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to understand about ECW is how much of it is ironic, detached parody, which is, or references. And I feel like that's why the BWO fits because it's kind of, of a kind with a lot of the ways in which the performers were presented, the shows were presented and the matches were presented and the promotion itself was presented was always in constant relief of the other promotions. And it existed in this, like we're going to obliquely reference the WWF kind of world. So the BWO is just another example of that where with the NWO you had, and this is something we talked about in the bash of the peach episode way back in the archives, there was this like fantasy world that the w that wcw took place in and the nwo was an antidote to that but it should have killed off all of the aspects of that and it didn't so what you had is like basically real people existing in a cartoon world where like the bwo is cartoon people in a cartoon world joey styles is one of the worst, if not the worst announcer of all time. Like, I get that he knows all the names of the moves, but he is, like, a misogynist, homophobe. Yeah, I don't know how racist he is, because I didn't listen to enough matches with, like, New Jack and shit like that. But he's really... There's this real, like, everything he says is a reference to another thing feel to him. He's constantly smarking out, as I like to call it, where you make, like, an obscure wrestling joke. There's so much of that that it feels, again, like, the BWO just is another thing in the long line. There's, like, literally, I forgot his name, his first name, but the lag, the announcer's name is Wright. And his thing is he's, like, comes in with news, and it's the right scoop. And he's from Connecticut. And he, they literally say, he has him say, I'm from Connecticut. And then they pan down to his shirt, and it's a WWF shirt. Like, they did shit like this all the time. And they also had everything was a reference to another company. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's it's kind of all about like you said the like punching punching upwards or creating the illusion that you're punching upwards. Like you have the people in the WWF or the WCW, you know, T-shirt, and then you have Joey Styles kind of like shove them out of the camera shot or whatever. You you create the illusion that those are your competitors. It's a way of kind of trying to float your float your boat up to their level somewhat artificially you know and it's something that they were definitely successful with with their hardcore fans their fan base was never like huge gigantic but those people believed in the company and like some of the ECW stuff like when they when they talk about on the rise and fall of ECW DVD when they talk about people believing that the Sandman had been blinded because Tommy Dreamer apologized and Sandman stayed home like that is some marky 1970s uh you know like uh, Grizzly Smith's cast iron stomach stuff <laughs> but people believed it like the 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 idea that ECW was was realer than everything else 
is like totally fake. In fact, if everything, they were kind of on a, a deeper, a deeper level of, of work. Like you said, that, that kind of metafictional work shoot kind of level. And it's, they, they, but they thereby created the illusion of realness. But I think the BWO is one of those little things where it's just kind of poking their head out from under the rug and being like, hi, we're here. What you're seeing is total like bullshit. This is all just like, you know, like a, like a pantomime clown show or whatever. Like we're all here, but you're buying into this and thinking this is really real. Like you, you think that the Sandman is blind or whatever. That's something that you see throughout the company is this idea of everything being so fake, it turns back into real again. Like the, the markiness of, oh, Sandman's really fucked up because he didn't go outside for two weeks. And it's like, he works at a company that they're the company that pays him. If they're like, Hey, you're not working for two weeks. Why would you go outside? Why would, why would you leave the house? Um, but it's also, he drinks, he drinks a lot of beer, Nick guys got to make convenience store. Well, I'm sure that there's someone in his house. Cigarettes too. <laughs> he can't afford He was the ECW world champion. You're saying he couldn't afford someone to get him beer. Come on, Dave. Come on. <laughs> your, your word's not mine. Um, but that also permeates into shit like Tommy Dreamer and Raven knowing each other since summer camp. Like, that is the core storyline for the company. Is that Tommy Dreamer and Raven have known each other since they were kids. And they've been feuding. And he's never been able to pin them. Like, that is the core story. It is the Hulk Hogan rising from Sterling Golding of the of ECW. And it's total crazy child bullshit. But they fucking bought it. And, I, like, Raven is a great character. Like, I love Raven. I think Raven is uh, an amazing performer. I think he was vastly underused. Every other company he was ever in. And he was one of the best things about ecw his storyline was like completely crazy bullshit and we they fucking bought it hook line and sinker and that's that's how you get to where you are because they kind of had accepted that they lived in this fantasy world of ecw they were also willing to like have the blue meanie and the bwo be lackeys for raven without treating them like they were bad guys Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, when I went back and I watched some of this stuff and I started to kind of think about some of the kind of other kind of big, important, like meta angles that we think about from this angle, like the, you know, the Pillman and Kevin, Kevin Sullivan stuff or the Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan stuff, all those kind of, those, those big angles of the time. I really think that like, this is one of the most successful in terms of getting people over to get back to something you said earlier, like the BWO were so likable. They had this great, true friendship with the crowd where the crowd wanted to see them do their shtick like the ecw crowd like when they weren't into something they let people know and like even though these guys weren't necessarily having like the best match on the card they were providing something that those people loved and like that was really real but then enter raven who's supposed to be their boss and like he treats them like dirt they go out first and they have fun with the crowd and then raven comes out and says hey knock it off you guys are supposed to be listening to me come do bad stuff with me it's just perfect and they get all of them built this great relationship with the crowd that was very real and it also helped get raven over it's just like god what a dick like these are these are cool guys and he's clearly got some kind of a a hold on them that makes them do this stuff. And it's just like not cool. And the way he talks to them and the way he 
looks at them and the way he powders out of the ring the second anybody else comes and lets them get beat up. I mean, that was Raven was so good at that that like when you hear interviews with Stevie Richards, it was very real to him. This storyline and this use of these ridiculous guys got them over as huge, you know, character baby faces who could work the indies for the rest of their lives if they wanted to. And then on the other hand, just got Raven over as just this really weird, like real kind of joyless new heel. The new heel is someone who hates fun and hates the connection that the baby faces have with the crowd. And Raven really masterfully, I think, was one of the first to access that by playing off of the BWO. It really works in part because Stevie Richards looks like a main eventer in ECW. And like Nova, again, like I said, is, and you said, he's a talented athlete who can like totally go. So they could have the guys run in, look good in the literal sense and in the figurative sense, and then come out of it looking even better because people wanted to see them break off from Raven because they liked them. They thought they were good guys, if not necessarily good guys. And they were allowed to develop those characters outside of Raven without losing Raven's platform as one of the biggest stars in the company. It's, it's a pretty big, like say what you will about Paul Heyman and that honestly, the presentation of ECW is pretty horrifying uh, in terms of like their camera work and stuff like that, but they understood their audience very well. And they understood once they knew that it was over with the crowd to milk it for not all of it was worth, but enough that like the production was sustainable. Like they constantly got a good return on the stuff they created that worked in a way that they didn't like, they, they sincerely didn't bleed a lot of characters dry, but they weren't sustain. It wasn't a sustainable model for them because everybody left for different companies. So that might have had something to do with it, but there is this understanding. Like we said, BWO basically exists for a year and a half goes from November to remember 96. And it basically ends, I think in July of 98, Um, there's really no, and they stop always coming out together as a BWO in like 97 and something like there's really consistency problems because of the way the, the, the moving around of talent, but you can definitely see how they were able to build character after character after character through their understanding of the audience and their way to present things to the audience that is kind of um, unique at that time. Uh, and you can also see a lot of the ways in which, the presentation for WWE is the attitude errors directly lifted, directly lifted from uh, like mid mid nineties ECW. Like I was saying just a few minutes ago, ECW succeeded in creating something that felt real, even though it wasn't any more than what was on the other channels. I mean, there the level of violence was higher, so I guess it was more real in that respect. But like, it was still the same pro wrestling, just with a very very different uh, look to it. You know what I mean? But but that was what the business desperately needed we've talked in other episodes about you know both the wcw and the wwe in the early to mid 90s and the major problem with a lot of that wrestling is just how contrived it felt ecw felt like it wasn't organized sometimes like sometimes it felt like wrestlers didn't know even on pay-per-views you could see them standing behind the curtain because they thought they were coming out when they weren't like literally it seems like it had no 
organization. But that was, again, more or less to most of the time, <laughs> you know, a total contrivance. And I think that that was the key to the Attitude Era was when Vince McMahon, you know, kind of geared back on contriving things in terms of kind of making this like perfect little kayfabe egg world where everything was within the boundaries of the shell, you know, and when he kind of really broke that and, and created the perception that there was a greater degree of reality by admitting, you know, that he was the boss, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's no question that that, that, that is what worked about ECW being applied elsewhere. Yeah, you watch the like height of the Attitude Era and it's a lot of Vince is out there trying to control everything and the parts of that he can't control are the most interesting parts. Because of the chaos of what's going on or and is presented as being chaotic, Raven's character really works in that because he's kind of like a parody in and of, maybe not a parody, but he's definitely like an ironic reference in and of himself. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked earlier about the kind of, you know, the actual NWO and sort of how it was all about their their legitimate power basically and their ability to do things that other wrestlers had previously not been allowed to do. And that, that whole 90s mentality, once again, one of the big narratives and kind of the dirt sheet community and the, the locker room and whatnot was all about like people being held down, quote unquote, main eventers watching out for their spot. And like, that's what Raven's character was all about, both in uh, ECW and WCW was like, he was kind of like floating upper middle, almost top or tippy top in ECW, especially. But like he kept himself afloat by pushing down as many other people as he could possibly find and making them subservient to him and making sure that they got kind of locked into these jabroni bump guy spots to take care of him. That was definitely a, a nod or a reference or an allusion to, you know, the perception of how a lot of main eventers were really conducting themselves in the business, I think. And that's, that's a pretty common ECW thing, like I said, like we spent about 20 minutes talking about. Um, and I think what you get from that is that every man character whose whole thing is, I'm going to get destroyed because the only way I can succeed in this business is because I look just like you <laughs> and I work just like you would. Like I'm a brawler. I'm not a particularly great performer. Like even Stevie is not a mind blowing athlete where you're like, oh my God, he should be the main event of WrestleMania. You're like, oh, he's good but he works his ass off and he gets the crowd behind him. And that's why he's over. It's not some sort of Greek God that they've ordained to be the champion. He's a guy that works really hard and his friends look exactly like us. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a huge turning point in that way, honestly, towards the way that, that people get over now, or one of the main ways people get over now, which is like directly identifying with the fans. You, you talked a great deal about, you know, like Xavier Woods, a couple of weeks ago, you know, him kind of letting his freak flag fly on some of the nerdy stuff. And, you know, he, he really feels like someone who could be one of your friends. And that's what part of what makes the New Day act so special. And I think the BWO were some of the first guys to really access that where, you know, there was always kind of the lovable jobber guys. Like we've talked about the Mulkey brothers in the past or like, uh, you know, the, there's always been that storyline of like the lovable loser. But I think the BWO were, were one of the first acts to, yeah, be just like you. That they were out there, they were, you know, pumped up fans who loved wrestling too. And they were living their dream by participating in wrestling. And they were having fun and you were having fun with them. And let's all go along on a journey and have fun together and live our dreams together. And that's one of the main ways people get over now. And I think they were definitely... Uh, innovators 
do a great deal of respect in that department. And yeah, for me, that's where wrestling needed to go. It needed to move away from that 80s, that very 80s style. You see with the BWO and you see it also, it translated a thousand different times for stuff like a team hell no eventually launching the career of Daniel Bryan. Like there is a lot of we, when you put talented people in comedy acts, they can connect with the audience so directly that they almost it's almost inevitable that they're going to get over because one of the things that we want people to do is to entertain us. That's why how they become friends. And like, look at Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston has had, of course, thanks to us because we did the Kofi Kingston, the the big long thing on Kofi Kingston during our episode and how great he is and how much of an amazing 80s babyface he is. That's what's worked. It's not just that he's a great, capital G, great performer. It's that... He is like us at this point. He is a guy that we that has been working his ass off for 11 years and never really coming close to where he wants to be, but still putting the effort every day because that's what you do when you have a job that you care about. And that's why they're connecting on such a level with him is because of that. They He is like another, he's an everyman, even to Daniel Bryan's everyman character. Like it is really an incredible thing to watch his surge over the last week, actually, it's not even two weeks, but the last week because of this everyman character that the BWO played a large part, whether or not we recognize it uh, like uh, on the surface of developing these characters and saying these characters can get over because people want good matches that are entertaining. And I think it's something we're going to talk about a bunch in the essential viewing. Like those matches aren't great, but they're well put together, fun matches with talented performers. And that's really all you need to get people over until they're ready for the show, until they're ready for that main event. And then you can quote unquote, mature the storylines, but like inter and, and make them more pro wrestling or sports entertainment, depending on what company you are. But I feel like this everyman character was a necessary character in the evolution of professional wrestling. Yeah, definitely. I think that how you just articulated it uh, is, is kind of the, the prevailing way of looking at things. I think on the other hand, there's kind of, there is definitely the, the more traditional, like, you know, camp of, of people who uh, send Jim Cornette gifs of, of comedy spots at indie matches. Like, I think there is this certain, like, old school desire among certain thought leaders and certain fans of theirs to, like, need to protect wrestling from silliness and need to protect wrestling from the idea that anybody can do it and it's fun. Like, there's this old, like, Gene Anderson desire that, like, the guy tells you he wants to be a wrestler, so you put him in the sugar hold. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's this old school kind of, like, Florida snake pit or, or Gene Anderson in the, the mid-Atlantic kind of kind of belief that you got to, you know, that, that, that if, if someone is, like, a regular guy who, who wants to play a wrestler, that those are the first people who, who need to get kicked out. And again, I think that speaks to what an important moment in history and what an important place ECW was where some of those people started to get invited under the tent. People who previous, you know, people just never would have hired or would have done their damnedest to chase off as fast as possible. So as much as you said at the beginning of the episode that neither you nor I is the biggest ECFNW guy uh, necessarily or fan, not to gender us as, as 
as male or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but it's ECW. I think we can do that. <laughs> true. Right. Yeah. I've watched those videos on the, on the network. There are not many females in the, in the stands. Uh, but no, but I think that even though neither one of us is a huge fan necessarily, or, or it's not either one of our favorite promotions, but like when I was preparing for this episode, I, I, I started to kind of look at it through a different lens and think of like, what do they call it, Nick, in political science? You don't have to edit this out. I'll just ask you directly because this is something I don't know shit about and you're kind of an expert of sorts on. What is, what is the the window of what is reasonable to discuss? Overton. The Overton window, yes. I feel like ECW shifted the Overton window in many different ways. And the BWO in terms of inviting the fan to be part of the performance and literally be part of the show in a bigger way, like I think that through 2019's lens, maybe this is the most important contribution of ECW. They really helped import that DIY culture from like punk music into professional wrestling. And that is one of the most seminal parts of the company. And with the BWO is in a lot of ways an avatar for that, which is why um, now that we've solved the legacy of BWO, I guess maybe not. Because uh, the question I have to ask, the one I've been thinking about uh, this entire time, Given all that we just said and all of the problems that we've documented and other people have documented with the NWO, I have a very specific question. It's a very narrow question. In terms of their achievements relative to their negative attributes, was the BWO a more successful, not bigger, not more popular, but more successful group than the NWO? I think if you, if I understand the way you're framing the question correctly, if you're asking who fulfilled their goal better, their kind of stated goal at their outset, I mean, I think that the BWO served as cogs in the Raven machine, the Raven Tommy Dreamer, Raven Sandman, those like really crucial main event feuds that really, you know, defined what ECW was. They were important cogs in those. And Stevie Richards definitely emerged as a as a as an important singles performer, someone who was put in one of the most important spots in the history of the company. We'll talk about it later in uh, Essential Viewing. Um, and you know, discovering a you know fan favorites in Meanie and Nova, who would fill out a lot of time on 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 you know mid cards and stuff like that. I mean, and are still working to this day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, and, and I mean, Nova was a, at one point uh, uh, Mike Bucci. Uh, Simon Dean was at one point a super powerful guy in terms of the WWE developmental process. He's not anymore, but there was a time about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago where, where he was really one of the most powerful talent evaluators within WWE. Um, so, so at any rate, yeah, I think they were super successful by that standard. Uh, you know, the NWO, what was the goal? I guess it depends on what you see as the goal of WCW was the, was the goal of the NWO to win the war? I mean, if so, they obviously failed. Was the goal to pop WCW? Well, they certainly succeeded at popping WCW. So I think the question is really hard to answer, but I will say that I think the BWO not only met, but exceeded any expectations you could have had for them at the outset. And I think the NWO met and slightly exceeded expectations for a while and then met expectations for a while and then were below expectations for a long while. Yeah, I think in terms of the totality of the NWO experience versus the totality of the BWO experience, you're, to me, it's definitely the BWO was a less 
problematic in the history of wrestling. And I feel like it, they did the Roger Ebert thing of you have to judge what they're trying to do. You have to judge them based on what they're trying to do, not what you want them to do. And they were trying to, like you said, get people over. They got people over. Help the w, uh, ECW build a brand out. They did that. Build their own brand. They did that. Um, contributed meaningfully to the card. They did that without overtaking the card. They did that. Like, if you look, I'm sure if you were to ask Paul Heyman what his goal with that group was, it was to get Stevie Richards over, and Stevie Richards got over. So I feel like if you're narrow, narrow casting the goal, it's definitely BWO. And even if you push it out to anything before popularity, I really think you have to look at the BWO as a more successful, if not necessarily more important in a direct point A to point B sense, but in a meta sense, they're a very important group who was also successful. They weren't important in spite of all the bad things that's happened become because of them. They were successful because of all of the things that they did well. And I think that's a much nicer legacy to have. Like if I had to choose between being in the BWO as one of the three guys in the BWO or being in the NWO as like a Scott Norton or lower henchman, I think I take the BWO because I'm not remembered as like one of the things that ruined professional wrestling. And I mean that specifically professional wrestling, not sports entertainment in the United States. Like that's not on me, even though Scott Norton's great. And I love Scott Norton. That's why I picked him. But like, if you look at the roster of guys in the NWO and you look at their their like overall success, the success rate is like Horace Hogan bad. The BWO was the BWO. Yeah, they had like um, uh, the Inchworm Rodman and they had somebody else, but it wasn't, they weren't like, that was a joke about the NWO and they didn't do the thing where like literally half the company was in the, end of, in the BWO. Like they knew what they had. They knew what they wanted to do with it and they executed that. And it was like, it's short and sweet. And like, I... To be completely candid, I was worried about doing this because of my feelings toward ECW, but like I can't say enough about like how harmless and pleasurable watching just BWO stuff was. Like it was it went from like, oh, this is okay to like, oh, this is actually fun. Like I we'll talk about there's a tag match in um against the full blooded Italians where like this is great. Like this is just good professional wrestling. And I, I really enjoyed it. Like I really happy we got to look at the e- uh, ECW without having to be positive about the totality of the ECW experience. Like I am more than happy to be positive about the BWO. Hell yeah. And you heard it from Nick, everybody make sure to put harmless and pleasurable in your iTunes review. Five star (laughs) harmless and pleasurable. Uh, So did you have anything you wanted to plug this week? Well, as always, there's the normal in-house plug, you know, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dave Wrights Junk, and uh, you can find my work at The Wrestling Estate. I have been uh, tweeting out any estate links that involve me from the uh, H-W-E-T-W pod Twitter account. So uh, that's really the best place to find any links related to me, either by following me or by following the show itself. I also want to extend thanks again to Michael Montalvo for sponsoring this episode. He's truly one of the greatest heroes in the history of our great podcast. Uh, If you'd like to be a hero like him, you can head on over to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W and uh, check out the different value that you get at some of the tiers. We've got some more content coming soon as well. So uh, 
get jacked up for it. <laughs> uh, and you can check me out at the Nixer is T H E N one C K S T E R. You can check us out at how wrestling explains that podbean.com rate review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, the Google play store and uh pocket cast. I'm pretty sure. Um, and yeah, check out, uh, subscribe to the youtube channel uh, which is at how wrestling explains the world uh we will be putting up stuff as we get closer to wrestlemania right now we're building a lot of content uh, on on the back end uh so that when that comes along you guys will have it won't be what i did last time where i did like four episodes and then realized it was going to take me 30 hours for every video and stopped making them so <laughs> we have streamlined the process a lot so we're definitely gonna have a lot more content for you guys on the youtube channel plus videos like that but not as regularly as we were doing them because that was insane so yeah definitely uh, uh, subscribe to the youtube channel a lot of exciting stuff coming there um did you have any pocket cast related news oh yeah you know what did you hear uh on uh, on the news wires the other day uh that i think keenan thompson is going to be bringing back an iteration of all mm-hmm. that well, I learned that it's not just going to be like teens this time. It's actually going to be like tiny, tiny children. <laughs> so he will, in fact, have a pocket cast because he's going to carry them around in like a Mighty Max or Polly Pocket style compact playset. And it's actually really cool because like when you open it up, it's got all the different sets, like where all the different sketches are going to take places and you can like redress the little studios. It's going to be fucking fat. So make sure that you check out the uh, new version of all that that's coming up soon. Your